Well, folks, Shaw Jerry Adams, Kajemarata Shibsha, Tasulagom Gowil Shibsha, Alig Gomoy. And uh, this weekend, friends and neighbours from Spring Hill will be commemorating the killing in Spring Hill on the anniversary of that awful event that occurred in July 1972. And last weekend, the families of many of those killed by British state agencies took part in protests across the north against the PPS decision to drop charges against soldiers known as Soldier F and Soldier B. Among them were the relatives of those killed in the Bella Murphy massacre in August 71. And only weeks ago, the coroner concluded after a lengthy inquest that nine men, including a local priest and Joan Connolly, a mother of eight, were entirely innocent victims. The coroner described the use of violence by the parachute regiment as unjustifiable and disproportionate. And standing beside the Balmurphy families outside the High Court were the families of the Spring Hill Massacre, which happened a year later. It was July the 9th, and in the space of a few moments on that quiet summer's evening, British soldiers shot dead five people. Father Noel Fitzpatrick was shot dead as he went to administer the last rites to the dead and dying. 38-year-old Paddy Butler died after he was hit by the bullet that killed Father Fitzpatrick. 19-year-old Martin Dudley was shot in the back of the head by a second British Army sniper and seriously injured as he got out of a car. And thankfully, Martin Dud is still with us. John Dougal was shot dead and his friend Brian Pettigrew was seriously injured as they tried to assist Martin Dudley. 13-year-old Margaret Gargan was shot dead by another British Army sniper and 15-year-old David McCaffrey was shot dead as he tried to pull Father Fitzpatrick and Paddy Butler out of the line of fire. In the aftermath, just as they had done the previous August in Ballamurphy and in Derry, after Bloody Sunday, the British Army claimed that they had shot gunmen during a gun battle with the IRA. But there had been no gun battle. No shots were fired at the British Army. All those shot were civilians. The Spring Hill Massacre inquest is due to take place next year. But a question mark now hangs over it and the other outstanding inquests. Michelle O'Neill, Sinn Féin leader in the North and Deputy First Minister, has challenged the British government over suggestions that it may end inquests, judicial reviews, civil cases and also prosecution cases involving British soldiers already before the courts. It took 70 years for a British minister to apologise for the torture, murder and mutilation and rape of thousands of Land and Freedom Army members. The British press dubbed them the Mau Mau in Kenya. 
And this is the context in which hundreds of families have been struggling, some for 50 years, to get truth and justice here in Ireland. They were never told the truth. They were given derisory compensation. And they were frustrated at every turn to have proper inquests convened and those responsible held to account for their actions. Sinn Féin, families of those involved, NGOs, other political parties, have repeatedly raised concerns since the Tory government started talking about an amnesty for British soldiers. The families of James Ray and William McKinney and of Daniel Haggerty planned to hold a judicial review or to take a judicial review against the PPS decision. The inquest into the Springhill massacre will probably take place next year. It could take another year to conclude. I want to commend the families of those our friends and neighbours killed in Springhill in that fateful day in July 1972. Like those hundreds of others in similar circumstances, they've shown great courage and resilience in the face of British government intransigence. And now on a, another topic, and this is July, and in the north, July is widely known as the Orange Month. So I produced an orange card for the more discerning listeners of this podcast. And you can download it at www.sinfein.ie forward slash files forward slash 2021 forward slash A4, A5, July PDF. And you can print it. And if you wish, you can send it to friends or foes. This is about playing the orange card. So, perhaps as an indication of what things might be like in the new Agreed Ireland, you could send it off to someone from the Republican side, the Nationalist side, all the bits in between, or someone from the orange side. Now, some listeners may be perturbed by this little July initiative. And given the brouhaha around these uh, bonfires at the moment, that's, that's hardly surprising. And it's hardly surprising given the history of the Orange Order and of the playing of the Orange card in a more sinister way at different points in our history. Since its inception, the orange has been associated with sectarian, triumphalistic behaviour. For a long time, it was a powerful network which united the unionist ruling class, elements of the judiciary, business and church figures, and working class unionists. Little wonder the northern statelet was known as the orange state. But all that has changed. Nowadays, the biggest parade in the north is for pride. The Orange Order is no longer the powerful force it used to be. It hasn't gone away. And it's still embroiled in controversy, mostly in recent years arising from parades and other activities where they are most unwelcome. The Orange, in some areas, create an atmosphere which is very threatening. Kick the Pope bands by with each other, 
sometimes outside Catholic places of worship. Bonfires built on public highways are festooned with effigies, Irish flags, posters of politicians to be burnt. Huge amounts of alcohol are consumed. And on these occasions, the 12th is celebrated by hate fests. And because of this, many orange men feel that they are misunderstood. They don't help themselves by refusing to talk to their neighbours or by failing to face up to their responsibilities to bring a halt to anti-community actions. Instead, those present at these events describe it as part of their culture. Burning pallets and tires is hardly cultural activity. And it is true that, despite this, that many orange parades, particularly in rural areas, are family occasions. A good day out for all involved. Indeed, the Orange Parade in Rosnaula and Donegal is a very good example of this. The Orange leader there in the county once explained very honestly that the Rosnaula Parade is so successful because it threatens nobody. The marching band is a tradition which the Orange has kept alive, lit and other marching orders. Many young people are introduced to fives and flutes, pipes and drumming through these bands. The world-renowned flutist or fluter, James Galway, started his musical career in an orange band. So there is a future for the orange in a new agreed Ireland where it will threaten no one. Orange is part of what we are. Its main organisation is an all-Ireland organisation and it's always saw itself as Irish. But they were the loyal Irish the identification with Britishness by some Unionists is a relatively recent one, though back in the day they did identify with the Empire, and maybe some still do. But the Empire is no more. When I was a TD for Louth, while protesting in the North against coat-trailing orange parades, I encouraged locals to make the Battle of the Boyne site, part of my constituency, a welcoming place for the Orange Order to visit. This very fine site is one of the attractions of the historic Boyne Valley, alongside its Neolithic antiquities. It's all part of our history. But of course, the Battle of the Boyne was never about religion. It was about power. It was King Billy supported by the Pope against King James and the King of France. The Pope paid part of King Billy's expenses, and when news reached Rome, a Te Deum was sung in the Vatican. The Pope supported the Dutchman William against James after the English Parliament sacked James and invited William to take on the job. James teamed up with the King of France to try and get his job back and he and William fought for it in Ireland. The Pope and the rest wanted to curb the power of France. The Battle of the Boyne incidentally was fought on the, on the 1st of July and not the 12th of July. That was then. This is now. Orange is one of our national colours. Its future is with the rest of us, of every colour and none. Equality must be our watchword. Everyone has the right to civil and religious freedom. The planter and the gale are the best guarantors of each other's future in our home place. 
The working class loyalists and working class unionists who celebrate the 12th certainly have more in common with working class nationalists and republicans than they ever could have with the big house unionists who used to run the place by dividing us. Our responsibility is to convince them of that. But first we have to be convinced ourselves. We are not about liberating ourselves alone. We are for the liberation of those we disagree with or who disagree with us, including those who oppressed us. We're about changing political, social and economic conditions so that they and others will also liberate themselves. That includes the orange. So here's hoping on the eve of the 12th for a peaceful 12th, for a calm 12th and that uh, it goes on and goes by without any unfortunate or other incidents. And I thought we might uh, end with uh, a tune from Tommy Makem and the Clancy Brothers, which goes back, it was recorded in the 1960s. It's called The Bowl Orange Flute. Gumei Shib Slan, Ah Mor Aragulyar. In the county Tyrone, near the town of Dungannon, where Manny's eruption myself had a hannin, Bob Williamson lived, however betrayed, and all of us thought him a stout orange blade. On the 12th of July, as it yearly did come, Bob played with his flute to the sound of a drum. You may talk of your harp, your piano, or lute, but there's none could compare with the old orange flute. But Bob the Deceiver, he took us all in He married a papist called Bridget McGinn Turned papish himself and forsook the old cause That gave us our freedom, religion and laws Now the boys of the place made some comment upon it And Bob had to fly to the province of Connaught He fled with his wife and his vixens to boot and along with the leather, his old orange flute At the chapel on Sunday to atone for past deeds Said pathers and alleys and counted his beads Till after some time at the priest's own desire He went with the old flute to play in the choir He went with the old flute to play for the mass But the instrument shivered inside, oh alas And try though he would, though it made a great noise The flute would play only the prize Protestant boys. Bob jumped and he started and got in a flutter And threw the old flute in the blessed holy water He thought that this charm would bring some other sound When he tried it again it played crappies lie down And for all he would whistle and finger and blow To play papish music he found it no go Kick the Pope and wine water it freely would sound But one papish squeaking it couldn't be found At the council of priests that was held the next day They decided to banish the old flute away They couldn't knock heresy out of its head So the bot bob a new one to play in its stead Well the old flute was doomed And its fate was pathetic It was fastened and burned at the stake as heretic as the flames soared around it, they heard a strange noise As the old flute still whistling the Protestant boys Tarly, tarly, oh, it's six miles from Bangor to Donaghadee